Prioritize the people that you interacted with. God is at work in your life and in theirs. Consider the reality that you were in the world doing God's work last week. Now open your eyes and look around you. See those around you. And consider that we need each other and the things that we bring to each other. This morning we'll dig into what, what may be a new way of thinking about those interactions. We are excited to be launching a new series this morning. Um, it's a three-week series called Committed. And here at EPMC, our mission is to be a growing church community that is learning to live and love like Jesus. And this mission should shape all that we are and all that we do. And our values of worship, community, and mission set a framework for how we do life together as a faith community. But what exactly does it look like to live this out? So in this series, we're going to be exploring three areas of focus that will help us to live into our mission and stay connected to our values. And it's an invitation to commit, not just to something, but to someone. It's about committing ourselves to God, to people, to each other so that we can continue growing in learning to live and love like Jesus. For the next three weeks, the development team will be leading us in looking at three commitments. This week, Tracy and I share on committed to live everyday life on mission. Next week, Katrina will look at the commitment to live into emotionally healthy relationships. And the final week of the series, Keith will look at the commitment to live in delight with God. We also want to acknowledge that these commitments are not the end all of what it means to walk with God. They are simply what we sense Holy Spirit is highlighting in this chapter of our story together as a faith community. These are the things that we aspire to live into in 2022 out of our vision and values. So to begin our study this morning, I um, just invite you to turn to Matthew 28. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. And this is the well-known Great Commission passage. It takes place after Jesus has been resurrected and the women who discovered the empty tomb were told by the angel to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And that is where this passage picks up. I'm going to be reading uh, from the message paraphrase this morning, so it may be a little different than what you have in front of you. Starting at verse 16. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain that Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some held back, 
not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So growing up, when I heard these verses, it seemed to always be around the context of evangelism. It was often in conjunction with a missionary sharing or a teaching on going into the mission field. And honestly, that wasn't something I ever really desired to do. I was actually usually filled with dread at the thought that Jesus might call me to go overseas. So I hadn't really spent much time with these verses, thinking about how they apply to me in my everyday life here in East Petersburg. But that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. How do they apply to us in the here and now? Well, as I studied the verses in different translations and listened to various teachings, I was initially drawn to the word go. Jesus tells the disciples to go. But where is he telling them to go? In Greek, this word is poreo. It means to depart, to walk, to go one's way, to pursue the journey on which one has entered, or to continue on one's journey. And so when I read these verses, I begin reading it as you go instead of just go. And when I look at the verses using this lens, it takes a different meaning. I don't have to go overseas to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus is asking me, and he's asking each one of you, to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples in our everyday lives. As we interact with our families, as we go to work, to the grocery store, on a walk with our kids, or to sporting events. We see Jesus modeling this as-you-go philosophy throughout his ministry. Some examples that quickly came to my mind were the woman at the well in John 4, and with the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. He's going about his everyday life, making disciples as he goes. So now that we've looked at when and where we are to go, what exactly are we to be doing? The message paraphrase says to train everyone you meet. More familiar versions say make disciples. Bill Hall, an author and speaker on discipleship, defines a disciple as someone whose intention is to follow Jesus and to learn from him how to live his life as though Jesus were living it. A disciple is a student. This begs the question, what are you a student of? 
What is discipling you? As I thought about that in my life, I began to realize that the way I interact with media is a form of discipleship. The way I interact with media is discipling me. What we post has the ability to disciple others. We see the direct result of those attitudes and actions all around us. Other areas that I see discipleship happening can be around many different cultures, such as dog culture or sports culture or hunting culture or party culture. We see all these playing out on social media and in other areas of life, and none of these discipling cultures are problematic on their own. But outside of Christ-centered living, they become our teachers. As Tracy mentioned earlier, often we associate this call to make disciples with evangelism. And while that is part of it, it's a small part. Discipleship is not just evangelism. Discipleship, it is not just bringing people to Jesus. Discipleship is a large, in large part something that happens by believers with other believers. Hall says that the process we call making disciples includes evangelism and is done by disciples to make other disciples. The process includes just about everything we do in relation to people around us. Some elements of the process are planned, some we learn from our training, but as a whole, most are unplanned and are manifested in our character. Disciple-making includes what we are like when we react to the unplanned big things of life as they come at us day and night without warning. Discipleship is not something you go and do. It's something you are already doing. Disciple-making happens in every moment of our days, whether we're aware of it or not. The words we say, our attitudes, and our actions, they either point people to Jesus or indicate that we are no different than anyone else. The example of discipleship cultures I mentioned earlier are all places that our representation of Christ can flow out and we become the hands and feet of Jesus. However, the minute we decide to disciple someone, our motivation and our focus is skewed. We need to press into our relationship with Jesus on loving and obeying him. Effective discipleship will flow out of that naturally. Our inner life with Jesus creates the ability to be a complete person under God. This awareness allows us to be intentional about our discipleship. Our ability to disciple well depends on how connected we are to Christ. If we are disconnected, we cannot show his example. God will create and lead us into opportunities to disciple others. A saying that Keith shared with us um, comes to mind. Don't trample over the great commandment trying to obey the great commission. The great commandment is given by Jesus in Matthew 22 and says, 
Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there's a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments are pegs that everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. If your motivation isn't out of love for God and love for others, our discipleship is misguided. So we're called to make disciples in our everyday lives. And just like each of our days look different from one another's, the way that we're making disciples can look different too. So I can be going about making disciples first with my family. I can be discipling Jonathan. He can be discipling me as we're interacting at home. Uh, the way I interact with my kids and respond to their questions, their interruptions, how I respond after I lose my temper and after I yell, these are all opportunities for me to be discipling. I can be discipling when I'm at the grocery store and there's somebody standing in the middle of the aisle blocking the way, oblivious to the fact that there's people waiting to get by. My demeanor can be discipling. I can be fulfilling the Great Commission as I'm talking on the phone with my sister, as I'm in meetings with other leaders here at church, as I'm interacting with teachers and staff at the schools, this week is the book fair at the elementary school, and I'm sure there will be lots of opportunities for me to be discipling the other volunteers and even the kids that come in to the book fair. We can be discipling our neighbors as we see them out in their yards. Are the words that we're speaking, are the thoughts that we're thinking, is our demeanor encouraging? Do I apologize when they're not? Do I have a posture of humbleness and a willingness to learn? The reality of my time is that the majority of my interactions are at work. I'm beginning to understand better the effect of the things I do and say with customers, employees, and vendors that I deal with. What is my example? I see myself missing the mark frequently. And so in addition to these individual everyday lot or everyday ways of making disciples, there's also more intentional ways that we as a couple, um, that our family as a whole can be fulfilling the Great Commission. And we've found, or I found, I don't know about you, but discovering what this looks like for us as a couple and as a family is more challenging than individual ways of disciple-making. It's taken more time to discern. In his lexicon, Wishful Thinking, author and theologian Frederick Buchner speaks to the challenge of finding your calling, your specific way of fulfilling the Great Commission. He says, the kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work A, that you most need to do, and B, that the world most needs to have done. 
The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. According to Buchner, finding out this calling involves both a look inward and a look outward. So start by listening to your life in the exciting peaks as well as the deep, dark valleys, even in the monotony of the everyday. What are the moments of happy tears for you? What are the moments of surprise laughter? Pay attention to those moments because they're probably telling you something deeply important about yourself. Even more, these moments are whispering something about the kind of work God has given you to do. And so after looking inward, turn your gaze outward at the world, at the needs, at the places of sadness around you. How can your deep gladness touch these places? So when we think about it that way, we see that fulfilling the Great Commission isn't a drag. It isn't something that we just have to put our heads down and just get it done. It's something that we're already doing and probably loving. So the development team planned for this series, and Jonathan and I felt a prompting to share on this commitment of everyday mission. The team asked us to think about where we would say our deep gladness, our passion lies. And after considering, Jonathan and I both felt that it was around gathering people and being in relationship with people, around inviting people to do life together with us. That's something that brings us both joy. And it also has great discipleship power as we share our struggles and our victories with other people and they share with us. It allows us to learn how to love on each other better. And we're learning that when we are broken together, we're made whole together. This has been a common theme that's been weaving throughout our lives together something that we naturally do and enjoy. We've found that there are many times that spiritual movement is happening through everyday conversations when the Spirit's presence is tangibly felt. And these moments are gifts from God to us. Jonathan and I often wonder how we can be more intentional about creating space for these moments in our relationships allowing for the meaningful to be part of the fun. These past few months, many of you know that we have moved. And as we processed initially whether to move to his grandparents' farmhouse or stay where we were, this desire for gathering played a huge part in our ultimate decision to press forward with pursuing the farmhouse. So as we settle into a new home now and make decisions about remodeling and renovating the space, this desire for gathering and the farmhouse to be a place of gathering shapes those decisions. This is where we see an overlap of our deep gladness 
with the world's deep hunger. But as with all areas of life, everything isn't all peaches and cream. Jonathan and I have personality traits that come in conflict. He's always ready to have a party and to have a group. And my mind right away goes to all the logistics and work of hosting, despite my real desire to gather. So stepping out into this discipleship making, even though it brings deep gladness for both of us, still takes intentionality and an element of trust for us. What are the areas in your life of deep gladness? Two weeks ago, we heard Abe Landis talk about how he enjoys and has taught other um, younger men his trade. He is discipling in that. I started working for Dave Landis when I was about 12, and looking back, I can see the discipleship that was happening in the fields with the tomato plants. And Tracy and my passion for providing a different kind of environment that allows for genuine relationship is something that brings us great gladness. And we are excited about the ways God is working through each one of you and through us. We are continuing to learn as God corrects our many missteps and changes us to be more like him. So as we close and invite the worship team forward, we'd like to extend some invitations to you as you go from here today. As we finish out the year of 2021 and as we look to what we might commit to in 2022, first, I just want to invite each one of you to spend some time thinking about who and what is teaching and discipling you. And then on the flip side, about those people that you interact with daily, who you might be discipling. And second, how can you be more aware of God's movement in your life and the ways he's calling you to put your deep gladness to work, meeting the world's great hunger? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for inviting us to be your disciples. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see you at work around us. Help us to trust and follow you. Amen.